as we continue on in the series of staying in the game, uh, I want to deal with the issue, if you will, not fouling out. Uh, not fouling out is a term often used in basketball. And many of you might, basketball season is, is about to get at its crux as people start the NCAA getting ready for March Madness High School and here in Illinois getting ready for March Madness. And definitely many of us who are from Peoria, we know how the city downtown get crazy in those two, first two weeks in March when all the high school teams come in. And, and if you try to get into the Pier Marquette, you're not going to make it in because every room is booked and almost every hotel room will be booked because everybody's here for the March Madness. And, and then when they come to watch those games, they, a lot of them have their star player, you know, that player that's real good on the team, their MVP, the one, their go-to guy, and they want to see that person start the game and finish the game. And one of the reasons the way that person cannot finish the game is fouling out. And when you foul out, that means you have committed an offense. You did something that is not allowed in within the rules of the game. Uh, you, you can't hit somebody while they're trying to shoot the ball. You can't just run over somebody if they're standing in front of you. If you do so, then the referee has the right to call a foul. And, and in the sport, and definitely in high school, you have five fouls to give, they say. That's how the, co- the coach would give it to the, the player. So, yeah, five fouls to give, so give them wisely. Because when you get to that fourth foul, they might have to pull you out because they might need you on the other side. And so when you foul out, that means you're no longer in the game. And sometimes a referee may know a habit of a player. And some players do things that, that are illegal all the time so they keep an eye out for that player. One player in particular in the NBA is Shaquille O'Neal. They look out for Shaquille O'Neal because he's bigger than everybody else. They always look for a player to fall down assuming Shaquille O'Neal knocked him over. And so they'll call him for charge, an offensive foul all the time, so they keep an eye out on him. And so they keep an eye out on him. They will continue count up those fouls on him that if he gets so many, he will foul out. In our lives, I want you to understand that Satan, the enemy, he keeps an eye on your life. And he knows your habits, and, and he's waiting for the right time to catch you doing the things you should not be doing so that he can expose them so that you can foul out. I want you to think for a moment now how many people in lives have been doing things for so long that how come all of a sudden it was exposed? How, how is it that all this time they were embezzling money, nobody knew, but one time they were exposed, everybody found out, and now they've been fouled out. They no longer can have a job. They are now in the federal prison. They're, they're now kicked out out of their houses and out of their places, no longer places of status, but yet they've been found out. The reason why is that sometimes that they're just waiting for the right time to get you. Because if I set you up high enough, then I can knock you down low enough. Because if I build you up, it's easy to cut you down. That, that's why how it's so easy to see how the mighty have fallen. Because when we place people on such a high level, it's easier for us to also set up their grave. And the same situation that Satan is looking at us. He, he sees how God has called us to do great things. But he's trying to prevent us from reaching that level. He's trying to find ways to stop us and reveal how we have fallen short. 
And now I'm not trying to stand here like anybody's is righteous, but Romans 3rd chapter says there's none before the Lord that is righteous, that we've all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all have some committed some fouls, and some of us are still fouling right now, you know, and we all have gone down that way, myself included, but yet I want you to understand that you can change your habits. You can change your behavior. You, you don't no longer have to be a slave to whatever it is you're struggling, what you're going through. It can change. But yet, some of us are waiting for a disaster to happen before we change. I, I don't want you to foul out in order to change your game. I, I want you to get to that third foul, to that fourth foul, and you start realizing that this ain't working. <laughs> I need to try something new. I, I, I want you to maybe have that first foul. He says, you know what? I'm not going to do this anymore. Because when you get to that fifth foul, the shame that comes, the pain that comes. You might see those players in the game, definitely in the Final Four, in the championship game, crying because they fouled out. Their team losing. They can't contribute. They can't help. They're crying. Why? Because they're out the game. Don't let that be you. In John, the, the Gospel of John, the eighth chapter, we're going to look at a, a woman who got caught. And they were trying to get her fouled out. They, they caught her in the act. And, and, and I want you to particularly look at the Pharisees and the, and the scribes, how they come. And, and I want you to look at their intent. Look at why they came. And then I want you to look at our Jesus and how he responded. And then I want you to, you could probably pivot this whole text on two parts in Jesus' response. The two times he stood up and what he said. <laughs> he stood up twice and said something twice. And then he sat back down. And I want you to catch what he does. Reading from the New Living Translation in Gospel of John, uh, 8th chapter, reading verse 1 to 11. The word of God says, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again in the temple. A, a crowd soon gathered and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. You see that she was caught in the act. They didn't say, we know she committed adultery. They said she was caught in the act. Y'all with me here? The law of Moses says to stone her. Look what they said. What do you say? Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. They broke it down. And then they says, the law of Moses, we're smart people. We know what the Moses, we're educated people. We're studiers of the laws. We know what Moses says. He says, stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accuser heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until 
only Jesus who was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. This text, historians and a lot of uh, uh, talk about how this is not originally placed here in the Gospel of John, how some have it at the end of the Gospel of Luke or at the end of the Gospel of John, and some manuscripts have a gap between John uh, 7, chapter verse 52, and then pick up back at verse 12, where Jesus says, I am the light. But yet it's true indeed that this has an account of a story, and it shows us how God, through Jesus Christ, relates to sinners. It shows how people treat sinners and how Jesus treats sinners. It shows how people want to condemn you and how Jesus is looking for an opportunity to forgive you. It shows how people want to foul you out, how Jesus wants to see you stay in the game. And so I'm glad how they have included this text in. And I want you to look at the first verse. It says, our Jesus came from the Mount of Olives. I want to talk about the character of Jesus in this story right now. In verse 53, it says, and they all went, every one of them, to their own house. But our Jesus has no place to lay his head. Fox have holes. Birds have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to call home. So where he found comfort was in an orchard in the mountain. He laid his head there. Then it says in, in the dawn, in the early morning, he found his way to the temple. And he went there to sit down and teach. He went there to teach because he know there's some people out there need to hear the truth. And so he's sitting down teaching. And I believe the, the record says while he was teaching, he was interrupted. I want you to catch this. While Jesus is trying to teach you in your life, there's going to be some people trying to interrupt. There were some people that going to try to come and sidetrack what the message is all about. That the enemy is looking every way how to put an obstacle, obstacle in front of you. And then look who came. It came the Pharisees. Now, previously in chapter 7, the Pharisees were already trying to get him caught up, but yet nobody arrested him. And the people started saying, do even the authorities know that this is the Messiah? The Pharisees already made up their mind that he's not who he says he is. And it says their motive. You see that in verse 6. They brought this woman who they caught in the act of adultery, not to condemn her, but just to trap Jesus. I want you to grab, I want you to cast this rule. People oftentimes will try to knock you down, not to prove that you were wrong, but just to use you for their own purpose. That I want you to realize what, 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 what hatred really is and evil really is. It don't care how much they destroy you as long as they get what they want. Think about that robber, that thief that killed somebody. They didn't mean to kill you, but they just wanted that money. But if they had a key to get the money, then therefore you're going to what? Die. I mean, just think about how so many of these senseless acts happen, how they're crying now when they get convicted. Oh, I'm sorry. Are you really sorry? You saw you got caught. Because if you got what you wanted, you wouldn't be saying, I'm sorry, would you? You'd be out there spending that money. That's the situation that, that the, we realize that the enemy is looking. Satan is saying, the Bible says Satan is seeking whom he may devour. 
These people are not looking for justice necessarily. They're looking just to trap Jesus so they can kill him. The enemy is doing the same thing. He just wants to destroy you and doesn't know how and doesn't care how he does. Jesus says how how and later on in chapter eight, saying this to them, we talking to the Pharisees who remained after these people left. He's saying here says uh, the devil is the father of lies and there is no truth in him. And so when he speaks a lie, it comes from his own nature. And say, so you better, y'all better watch out because y'all acting like him. And that's the situation of the truth. A situation of the truth. When Jesus is the truth, he is the lie. He speaks the truth. He, he does not have to testify of himself because he testifies of the one who sent him. But these people have come to break up what Jesus is teaching because they want to insert a lie and deceive you so you won't believe the truth. You see that? Uh, so I want you to be mindful of the times when you're trying to sit down and spend some quiet time with God. Be mindful of the time when you open up your word and realize how some distractions start showing up. The, the time you decide to sit down and read your word, your favorite show came on. The time you decided you need to do some prayer time, somebody gave you a phone call. You said they can wait, but, you know, God can wait, but they can't. I want you to really look how, how the enemy just has subtle ways of coming in. Because look how they walked in. They walked in as if they were right. This woman was wrong. We're right. That's the problem. That many times in our lives we act like the Pharisees. We think we're right. And others are wrong. They came here consumed with their judgment already. I'm right. God's on my side. And you're wrong. So what you say? You see, is that what they ask? They said, what do you say? They said that to trap him. You, be careful, people that will ask you questions. They already got their minds made up. And then, and then you give them an answer, and they already tell you it's wrong. And you're like, then why'd you ask? Because <laughs> they knew what you were going to say. They just wanted to say, aha, gotcha, trapped you. You know how the situation goes is this, that I just want to trap you. I, don't, I already know I'm right. I just want you to know I'm right. But yet the enemy is always alive. And he's always going to prove a lie. But you see the interruption here. And now I want you to remember I said, see, when Jesus stands up, Jesus is sitting down teaching. And so when they come in, they, they bring this woman. And so she was caught in the act of adultery. You think she had enough time to get herself together? So imagine the other people staring and gawking and looking at this woman. But our Jesus took his head down and rode on the sand. So I had to look at that a couple of times. It hit me. Jesus does not revel in our sin. Jesus does not have a satisfaction looking at us in our sin sickness. He turns his head and does not give her a glaring stare of condemnation. But the, the accusers are condemning her and staring at her. And I could see it with my mind's eye. them pointing, this woman, she was stoned. And in the original language, they said, we should stone such things. They refuse her as a thing, as in a word that, in a standpoint, she is repulsive. She has nothing to do with us. So we should get rid of her. But our Jesus who was interrupted rudely by them, was still teaching, said, you know what, uh, I'm going to keep on keeping on it. And the King James Version says, as if he did not hear them. He, he bent down and started writing uh, in the earth. And then the text says they kept on demanding, you better listen to us, Jesus. We, we came here for a purpose. Uh, what do you say? Then he stood up. And he says, all right. And the New Living Translation says, you who have never sinned, 
be first to cast the stone. He's saying, you without sin, cast the first stone. In the law, which Jesus knew, it meant the witness was to cast the first stone. And then he, he made an emphasis here, you who are innocent of this crime, cast the first stone. I want to ask you a pop quiz. How many stones were thrown? The law also demands that not only, not only the woman be stoned, but the man be stoned. Somebody tell me real quick, where was the man? Now, with my imagination, I, I think the man might have been a Pharisee. With my imagination, how could they catch her in the act if they did not know her habits? Am I talking to somebody here? Think about how, how jealous people get jealous because they know jealous ways. Oh, he must be cheating because he do what I used to do. Let me check that. Let me check that phone. Oh, she must be cheating. Let me check her phone. You know, we can accuse other people. When we know the dirt that we do. We assume other people do the same thing. And so I see with my mind's eye, Jesus says, okay, you without sin, you cast the first stone. And we, I can see now the old one, remember, like, wait a minute. <laughs> uh, wait a minute. I ain't going to get caught up with this because that woman knows. Some other people know. Let me just sneak on out. <laughs> then the, the, the young spry ones are looking around and say, wait a minute. I ain't going to be left alone here. <laughs> I can see them running off. And now I want to deal with this word conscience here. I, I can see how the conscience got them. See, oftentimes our conscience speaks to us in a specific way. Why? Because our conscience lets us know when we've done wrong. Think about it for a moment. Have, have you ever had that time that you should have helped somebody and you went home and your conscience started speaking to you? It's amazing how, how, how our conscience reminds us of when we should have done better. The Holy Spirit is telling you to do it then. But yet you just say, nah, somebody else would do it, and then you go home, you feel bad. The, the Pharisees, the scribes, the studiers of the law, thought they were doing right at the time. They brought her to, aha, we have, because we're right, he's wrong. And then all of a sudden, Jesus spoke, and he went back right and let them revel in what he said. And their conscience started talking to them. I said, wait a minute. I know this woman in another way than everybody else. Maybe I shouldn't be here right now. Maybe I need to drop my stone and go on. See, look at here in this process, too, that those who are trying to foul you out because they want you to be like them. Those who are out the game want to bring you down so you can be out the game. It, it's amazing. And, and, and Cassius, Cassius, they didn't see it that way, did they? They thought they were doing something right. That's the problem. That when I, when I was running out with some knucklehead friends of mine, I thought I was doing right. But when we got caught up, I found out I was doing wrong. And so I had to change my attitude. I, I had to drop some stones and run back home and, and change up. And that's what we got to be careful of and realize, who are you running with? Because you might be running with some folk that are going to have you fouled out. Going to have you looking ashamed, but you try to make somebody else look ashamed. Cast, cast the embarrassment of these leaders coming to condemn this woman, and they the ones leaving. They were trying to set her up, but they were set up by their own trap. I want you to understand here how God can make your enemies <laughs> your footstools. <laughs> 
how God can, can change up what the enemy meant for your bad to be meant for good. Do you understand here how they thought they had a situation set up to make them look good, but everybody was looking at them and saying, all right, y'all righteous folk, throw the stone. If I was there, I'd been throw it in. Man, you interrupt my teacher. Throw it now. Here, get on. But nobody did anything because they were guilty. They were guilty. And now look here. They wanted Jesus to condemn her. Now, they wanted Jesus to condemn her. One, because if he says she should be stoned, they cannot conduct capital punishment without Roman approval. And so if he does that, then they got him from breaking the law for the Romans so the Romans can seize him and put him in prison. Secondly, you can only do capital punishment without the Roman approval if they did something against the temple in the standpoint of blasphemy against God. They can take care of that right away. So they had him. Then if Jesus stoned this woman had her to be stoned, then the Pharisees and the scribes would not be saying he's a friend to the sinners. And so they had it all figured out. But then uh, Jesus stood up and said, you, <laughs> without sin, be first to cast the stone. And he sat back down. And when he sat back down, not only were the people looking at the Pharisees, seeing what they were going to do, I can imagine in my mind's eye that woman that is not fully clothed and, and trying to keep herself together, probably crying a pool of tears, uh, not lifting up her head to look at Jesus because she feels ashamed. But then I believe the text says he stood up again and said, woman, where are your accusers? Did not anyone condemn you? And I, I hear her with a gentle reply, no one, Lord, neither do I. Ooh, a comforting words. Comforting words. And then he gives her a command, go and sin no more. Now, the story does not account of her life. We do not know what happened to her, but I can believe that once she's met Jesus, once he came there and once there, I believe she left in a changed situation. I, I do firmly believe that, that once he came there and he just says, uh, don't foul out the game, uh, I think she just changed her ways, that she won't get caught up in this mess again. Uh, I can see right now how when Jesus stood up and told her, neither do I go and sin no more, how people's hearts start filling up and realize that there's a God that can forgive me. There's a God that rather show his grace and his mercy than his wrath. There's a God that loves me. Because Jesus goes later on in that same chapter talking about how I have not come here to judge. I've come here to save. But he, there is he talking about God the Father. He will judge. So I want you to grab here. There's people out there judging you right now. Already got you out the game. But aren't you glad that the who spoke last in this text? Jesus. Aren't you glad that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega? He is the beginning 
and the end. He is the first and the last. I like how Hebrews puts it, that Jesus is the author and the finisher of my faith. So I'm glad as I'm running this race, Jesus began me and he'll take me all the way to the end. So I'm going to be obedient to the master and realize how I can go and sin no more. I thank him for forgiving me for all my sins. Uh, many of us are standing here and sitting here acting like that's not us, uh, but I've been there and I've been caught. I've been brought before some people, but I'm glad uh, that my Jesus can stand up for me uh, when nobody else stood up for her. The record says that Jesus stood up uh, and he spoke for her. I'm glad that the Bible tells me when Stephen was condemned, he said he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. What is that telling me? That is telling me that when I'm in trouble, I have someone who will stand for me in front of the judge and say, Master, please forgive me of my sins. And Jesus will go ahead and talk to the Father and say, I'm interceding on their behalf. The world wants to condemn them, but I came, but I came. He came so that we can have life forever, everlasting life. I'm so glad that he stood. Do you remember how he had to stand for to say his last breath? Because they hung him high on a cross. And the way they put a man on the crucifix, they bend their legs and make them slunch over so it'll be hard for them to breathe. I'm an asthmatic, and my, my doctor told me, Sam, when you're out of breath, you don't bend over to catch your breath because you're not going to get enough air in there because your diaphragm cannot stretch out and your lungs will not be able to expand. He says, put your hands over your head in order to inhale to feel your rib cage. I believe our Jesus' hands was over and stretched out. And he was able to stand up and say, Lord, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And after he said that, he said, it is finished. What did that mean? That means I paid the price. My blood washed you whiter than snow. Remember my sayings I said to you. I told you go and sin no more. I told you to go and love one another. I told you to go and make disciples. You understand when God gave a lot of comparatives, he said go. And so that means you need to be actively going and running and doing what he said. So don't foul out. Go and run. For the Lord. He'll start you and he'll see you through. Tell somebody he'll see you through. Tell somebody he'll see you through. So tell him so go. I didn't hear you. Tell him go. Tell him go and sin no more. And see how your perspective change. See how your life's change. Because how you changed when you met Jesus. Aren't you glad how the song says, at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light. See the light today. See Jesus. See him resurrected. 
seated at the right hand of the throne. I'm trying to leave you alone, but my soul is happy. <laughs> I'm just glad I serve a God that can stand up for me when nobody else will stand up for me. And he will be able to speak on my behalf when I can't say a mumbling thing. And I'm glad today that his grace is sufficient. His mercy is everlasting. And I believe the song says, Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. That's why I'm going to hold on to God's unchanging hands and hold on with all that I have. Because there's going to be some days uh, when I can't stand on my own. There's going to be some days when nobody will be able to speak for me. But my Jesus, but my Jesus has my name on his lips. I'm glad today that he's exalted and I've been forgiven. I'm glad today they bury him in the grave. But three days later, he got up again. I'm glad today that sin has no victory, death has no sting, but I have victory in the name of Jesus. You have victory today. You have victory today. Good day now, children. May the Lord bless you real good, but on your way home, you ought to testify how good God's been good to you. Good God from Zion. He's been good to you, Tell somebody, he's been good to me. He's been good to me. Tell him, you don't know my story, but I've seen his glory in my life. Oh, bless the Lord. We thank you, Almighty God. We worship you, Almighty God, for all you've done for us. You've been better to us, Lord, than we've been to ourselves. You've been faithful to us, Lord, even when we have fallen short before you. Well, we thank you. Still, every head bowed, every eyes closed. Right now, you might be just like that woman, caught in your mess. But you don't have to stay there. You too might have people looking at you, knowing all about your business. (laughs) But you don't have to stay there. You can look to Jesus and say, Dear Lord Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. And I want to live for you. And no longer live for me. And you can hear Jesus telling you, I love you so much that I gave my life for you. So that you will not perish, but you will have everlasting life. You can hear Jesus say that he that believeth in me shall not die, but have everlasting life. If that's you right now, caught up wherever you are. It don't matter where you are. It matters no that if you call on the name of Jesus. Call on his name right now and see transformation happen in your life. Call on that name right now. See change happen in your life. Call on that name right now and let him be Lord of your life. Still every head bowed, every eyes closed. Father, we thank you that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, we shall be saved. We thank you, Father, for loving us, forgiving us, and for saving us. And Jesus, we welcome you in our heart. And we make you our personal Lord and Savior to honor you and to serve you. In Jesus' name, Father, we pray. Let the church say, Amen.